Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing today? I don't know, noise cancelling headphones. I've just had it. What is the point of inventing noise cancelling headphones? People need to be aware of their surroundings. If they're in a house of people, they need to be able to hear if the other people are shouting for help. If you're out walking or somewhere, you shouldn't have noise cancelling headphones. I understand if you're on maybe an aeroplane and that really sort of high pitch noise isn't helpful for you, maybe then, but that Surely that's the only time. Why are people buying noise cancelling headphones? I'm just, I'm very perturbed and worried about it and I don't understand. I need answers. If you have answers, please tell me. But anyway, I've got some great books that I'm not perturbed about. So let me tell you, what books are we discussing today? I'm just turning them around so I can see them all. We have got 30 Days in Paris by Veronica Henry, Consumed by Greg Buchanan, One by Eve Smith, The Conspirators by G.W. Shaw and Someone Else's Shoes by Jojo Moyes. Quite a selection, I think you'll agree. So let's get started. 30 Days in Paris by Veronica Henry. Let me read you the blurb. Years ago, Juliet left a little piece of her heart in Paris and now, separated from her husband and with her children flying the nest, it's time to get it back. So she puts on her best red lipstick, books a cosy attic apartment near Notre Dame and takes the next train out of London. Arriving at the Gare du Nord, the memories come flooding back. Bustling street cafes, cheap wine and candlelit bars and a handsome boy with glittering eyes. But Juliet has also been keeping a secret for over two decades and she begins to realise it's impossible to move forwards without first looking back. Let's go and talk to Veronica now. Well, it is my huge pleasure. I've been so looking forward to this to welcome Veronica Henry, whose latest truly fabulous book is called 30 Days in Paris, Veronica, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you. Now, let's start with a bit of a reading of, I believe, chapter four. Chapter four, yes. Right. So this is set 20 years ago. Paris, my mother looked at me as if I'd said Pondicherry or Polynesia. Yep, I replied as breezily as I could manage. I could see panic, suspicion and disapproval in her eyes combined in one sharp look. That was mum. Always looking for the snags, the risk. She liked to keep her world as small and as safe as possible. 
I could understand that. It made for an easy life. But I didn't have to be the same. This was my first step in making sure I didn't turn into her. Not that I didn't love her. I just didn't want to be her. I've got a job as an au pair. A nanny, you mean. She hated it when I used foreign words. Thought I was getting above myself. No, an au pair is different, I explained. It means equal to. You live as a member of the family. They give you pocket money in return for helping with the children. Oh, she looked puzzled. But why, when you've got a perfectly good job? <laughs> well, oh, that's wonderful. I just love the book. Well, let's start with a, an obvious basic question, but an important one. Can you summarise the joyful gist of this book for us? So it's about Juliet, who is 50-something. She's just separated from her husband amicably. They just have gone in completely different directions and have different views on what they want from life. So that's it. They're, they're no longer together. And she's also got an empty nest, so her kids are off doing their thing. Um, so she decides to take herself back to Paris, where she was an au pair when she was 20. Um, she absolutely fell in love with the city Something went wrong. She had to come back with her tail between her legs and she's all always wondered what might have happened had she stayed. So she kind of goes back to rediscover her lost youth and the person she was hoping to become mm. um, at that time um, and just to, just to fall back in love with Paris and have a bit of an adventure. And was there something in particular that inspired you to write this? Were you sitting in Paris thinking, oh, yes, or planning to go to Paris and thought, oh, let's let's do some research? I just had always wanted to write a book set in Paris because I love it. I mean, it's I just feel whenever I arrive there, I just feel the possibilities are endless and it makes me feel sort of slightly more mysterious and <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so I think it's just a very special place that that always makes people feel slightly different about themselves. So I wanted to capture that in a book, but you just have to, if it doesn't sound too pretentious, you have to wait for the right story to come along. So it took a while for Juliet and her story to kind of emerge and the time was right. And I just thought there's so many women out there of that age who just want a new chance in life and a new beginning and, and a bit of a, an adventure. So that's what I wanted to capture, that kind of sense that, you know, what you can do, what you, you can do stuff for you, actually at a time when you've probably spent years and years and years and years putting other people first. So it's kind of flipping that and just going, right, me first. <laughs> yes. And I think that's something a lot of people could identify with, that putting other people first and just needing to focus on yourself. Yeah. Well, well you know, was, uh, we, all, we all do it. It's, and it's very, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive sometimes to put yourself first. But I think once you've had a go at it, it suddenly becomes quite easy. You think, oh, yeah, nobody's died <laughs> yeah. as a result of my absolute selfishness. <laughs> and tell me a bit more about Juliet. Did she just pop up one day and announce herself in your mind? Yeah, kind of. It's, I mean, writing's weird. You don't know where the ideas come from. They just sort of, characters evolve, I think, in your imagination. And, you know, you start off by thinking... Who is this story going to be about and why? So, yes, I, as I explained that scenario, I wanted somebody that had suddenly had complete freedom to do what they liked. So obviously you have to get rid of the husband. And the... Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's a common thing. I'm, I'm divorced. You know, there's a lot of, lot of us about. Yeah, and then I just gradually started building, asking what does she do? And so she's a ghostwriter, which to me is a really interesting, it's a very different from being a, just a fiction author and it's a, it's a fascinating career and I think there's been a lot of interest in ghostwriting as well particularly since say the Harry 
book came out mm. Dr. Gestritten. I just thought, oh, readers would probably like to know a little bit about how that works. And and it's always a bit weird because your name's not on the front of the book necessarily. You might get an acknowledgement or something. But so you've done all the hard work, but you you're obviously you get paid, but you're not really getting the glory. And Juliet now wants to write her own book with her name on the front cover. So that was just something I was really interested in that sort of transition and so do you often have different themes characters locations bubbling away in your head what when is the point where you think right I've got this this is a book here oh gosh I mean there's constant things going on in my brain endlessly telling myself stories in my head and (laughs) yeah I mean it, it it's a draft process so you Obviously, there needs to be more than just that person. So then other characters come in around that. So you used to kind of work on those. So I I wanted her... I was really interested in um, recapturing old friendships. So that's one, one of the strands of the book. She re-meets a, a friend, Natalie. They racketed about Paris when they were 20. And then it just sort of gradually gets bigger and bigger. And then obviously there's the love interest. So who's he and why and what? <laughs> yeah, so it's just gradually like, it's like a big mood board in my head, if you like, with with characters and locations are really important to me. So like the apartment that she rents was really important, but also inspiring. You know, as soon as I pinned that down, the story started to unfold when I knew where she was and, and what kind of neighbourhood it was. I could I, I could take her on on a journey, if you like. And do you just start writing then or do you, are you a, a plotter and have to plot it all out or do you just jump in? I do plot quite a lot of it out. So I, I sort of work out all the main turning points in, 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 in the story and also pretty much know where I want to finish up. So I've got an ending because I think it's important to have a destination when you're writing somewhere to get to. So I will plot I'll put all the main plot points in the main turning points and then make sure it's quite balanced because it's also dual timeline. So there's the story now, but also the story of Juliet when she was an au pair, when, you know, that was quite dramatic. I just have to make sure that those two stories are balanced and are, are sort of relevant to each other and resonate with each other. That's, that has to be quite meticulous because you mm-hmm. can't just do, a you know, three chapters of the current day and then flip back to the past without it having some meaning and, or connection. So, yeah, there is quite a lot of planning. But then, you know, you start to write and stuff happens that you didn't expect. So you sort of recalibrate slightly, I guess. But that's the fun of it. That's the magic. That's when the magic happens is when you start writing and you think, oh, my God, I didn't know that character was going to be so important. You know, somebody that had been a bit of a a bit part will suddenly come charging in and, and taking the plot in a different direction, perhaps. And when we're reading this book, we find certainly I find myself smiling oh. a lot. Are you smiling as you're writing? Oh God, <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> but yes, you know when the bits that I really love, like for example, there's a, a chapter where she goes into a really fabulous bar on her own for her uh, for a drink, and sort of has to pluck up the courage. It's quite scary, is it, uh, to go and and into a Parisian bar and and order a cocktail on your own Mm. and I really loved writing that and I just you know there's a lovely barman who kind of flirts with her a little bit yes I really love writing things like that which are a bit of me actually you know but something that I've forced myself to do yeah because I walked past I obviously went to Paris to do a bit of research just to make sure I got all the details right and I did walk past this fabulous just so glamorous and so Parisian so not English Actually, I, I wasn't brave enough to go in by myself, so I made Juliet go in there. So next time I go back, I will go in. 
And is it hard to balance the moments of joy in the book and the moments of perhaps a bit a bit of sadness as well? Is it does that take some doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's light and shade, isn't it? You know, I write what's called feel good fiction, I guess. Um, so you want to leave the reader feeling uplifted and satisfied and, and joyful and optimistic. But you can't just write lovely things. You can't just write it was a lovely day, a lovely thing happened, she had lovely friends. You, you, it, there has to be some dark, there has to be some shade, there have to be dilemmas, there have to be difficult choices, there has to be some bad behaviour. And actually, that's really fun to write about because you don't want to write about, you know, saints. <laughs> yeah. Mistakes are how we learn, right? Well, that's what we keep telling ourselves as we make the mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do any of the characters stay with you after? Because you've written so many books now. Is there just a whole host of voices in your head now? Um, Yeah, it's usually the settings and the families rather than one single person that kind of stay with me. And I just think, oh, I'd love to go back to Honeycoat, for example, which was one of the first books that I wrote about, you know, fairly dysfunctional, quite glamorous, slightly bonkers family. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just always writing the life I want to live, really, I suppose. <laughs> and we enjoy reading it as well. Given all the books that you've written, if you had to pick your most memorable moment in your writing career, oh gosh, what would it be? Oh, 100%. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Being writer-in-residence on the Orient Express. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was just the most fantastic opportunity, the most wonderful experience. And, and absolutely, I mean, I would still pinch myself. It was incredible and, you know, and really inspiring. I always love to take my readers somewhere I'd like to go. And I'd just been mulling over where, what to do next. And I suddenly thought, ah, oh, I've always wanted to go on the Orient Express. I know there's been a book already set on the Orient Express, obviously. <laughs> what, what's that? <laughs> the merge on the Orient Express. Yeah, yeah. And then, then I just thought, oh, what about something romantic? You know, no murder, but just sort of. Because people are always on that train for a reason, not just to go to Venice. They're usually there because it's a birthday or an anniversary or they want to propose or they're just doing that trip of a lifetime. So there's always a reason. There's always a story. And that. so I was literally plunged into a whole carriage full of stories. So I couldn't not come away with an amazing book. <laughs> and is it incredible to go? Yeah, oh, it's, it's just... It's so glamorous and nostalgic and, and beautiful, like all, all the woodwork in the little cabin and the the glass in the restaurant. It's all Lalique. The, oh, I mean, it's just the attention to detail and the finish and the and the furnishings, the velvet, the glass, the glamorous staff. It's just, it is like stepping back in time and into another world. It really is. It is extraordinary. So I, w- I know how lucky I was. I really was incredibly lucky to have that experience. That's certainly a memorable moment. Well, mm-hmm. we come to the final question, which is the most important one on this podcast. So prepare yourself. When you were writing 30 Days in Paris, what was your biscuit of choice? What biscuit powered the writing? Oh, biscuit. Well, it's not really a biscuit. I would say it's a little cake a little parisian cake a madeleine oh good answer i think that can count as a biscuit because you can certainly eat more than yeah. one <laughs> you can eat them in a sort of biscuity way and so i love making this very easy to make but rather satisfying because they're that love they look like little shells so yes i think that's my biscuit of, and mine do come out quite <laughs> 
white biscuity. They're probably not as puffy as they should be. So there, my biscuit of choice, Madeleine. Perfect. And the book is perfect. Well, it's just been wonderful to talk to you about your latest book, 30 Days in Paris. Veronica Henry, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Excellent. So now we're on to Consumed by Greg Buchanan. And here is the blurb on this one. Listen to this. On a lonely farmstead, an elderly woman falls down outside and, unable to move, is consumed overnight by two of her pigs. It seems like a tragic accident, except the woman was a well-known photographer and inside her house, someone has removed all her photos from their frames, seemingly erasing her past. The first photo she ever took remains her most infamous, a missing girl who is never seen again. Forensic veterinarian Cooper Allen is drafted in for the autopsy and slowly becomes obsessed with the victim, her family and the crimes she brought to light decades ago. (gasps) Wow. Well, let's go and talk to Greg now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome to the podcast Greg Buchanan, whose latest book is Consumed. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Great to be here. Before we do anything else, can you start by reading us a little bit of the opening of this book? Sure. You're going to die one day, Lethwick, 1964. No one ever thinks about it, but you will. You'll die, and as you do, you'll look back at how you treated me, the things you said to me, and you'll regret them. Before you go, you'll miss me. You'll miss everyone, and you'll be so, so sorry. You will. 
I read it in a book. That's what Sophie's mother had said to her the morning of her 17th birthday. Now the girl was out here, walking with her gift. Unwashed strawberry blonde hair curled around her shoulders. All around, forests that had bloomed for decades were receding like a hairline. Heather grew out of the blasted, scorched, exhausted earth at peculiar angles. These plants squatted like beggars, holding out their hands towards the departing sun. There were pines and chestnut trees too, and... and... oak? Was that an oak? Sophie wasn't sure. Thank you, Greg. That's great. I always love to hear the books being read by the author. It's much better than me trying to read it. Let's start off with a basic question. Can you summarise this book for us? Consumed is about a kind of a mystery from the past recurring in the present day. So in the 1960s, we have this character you just heard about, Sophie, walking through some woods on her birthday and taking various photographs of things she finds interesting. It turns out that some of those photographs link into a kind of an ongoing crime, one element of which people know about, one of which they don't. So it's it's quite an important moment for this. This kind of mystery remains unsolved ostensibly her entire life, though you know Sophie becomes kind of famous as a photographer as a result it's only kind of in her kind of dying days in the present day that everything suddenly comes slamming back to the surface it becomes quite clear that the mystery of two missing children was not quite as unsolved as it seemed and in the present day Sophie is found consumed hence the title by her two pigs so she's collapsed in a field at night and her pigs have devoured her which is a very strange thing that pigs do if you look online as a result a forensic kind of veterinarian who is on vacation as detectives like to do in books like this <laughs> is drafted in to help and it becomes very clear that all is not as it seems in this town and there are kind of various forces working against her yeah so that's probably a good good description i think <laughs> absolutely and what a start to the story i'm going to ask you what inspired you but i'm slightly concerned to ask what inspired you to write this story uh well so there were there were two two kind of aspects i think one was after or you know when i was working on 16 horses and especially towards the end you you, you find that kind of all people that you're talking to, you know, friends and family, people you work with, people you kind of meet in publishing and stuff, will say stuff like, uh, oh, you're going to write a sequel, you're going to do another one. And I really was against that in a lot of ways. And that it, I, I think I called it like the 16 geese problem and that I was like, what is it going to be? Just a bunch of other animals who died, kind of like my first one. <laughs> so I was I was a bit dismissive <laughs> of the whole thing. But I, I as a kind of writing exercise, because I'm very into my, my craft, my, my learning, decided to think, well, if I was going to do a sequel, or something that you know involved similar characters how would I approach it and I decided to think of what 16 Horses was about and I decided to try and reverse and flip as many things as possible so a lot of the initial ideas came from purposefully reversing a lot of elements of Batberg so that was the kind of beginning bit at, at that stage it was more kind of for those uh, for those of you who will read it or have already started reading it the kind of the stuff on the actual property where Cooper goes there in the evening that happens fairly early in the book Originally, it was almost going to be all set on that evening, and it was going to be this kind of like a more kind of, I guess, Agatha Christie type thing. But things kind of obviously morph and, and develop and, and change as you go. And though that was very much the core, and that was some of the earliest material. Then, as it did for many people, or perhaps everyone, a lockdown hit. Uh, around this time so I immediately stopped writing didn't do anything you know sitting sitting around kind of fairly glum I think it was around the time we were all sort of going outside again a bit and I was I was quite cautious on that front didn't know that it could spread as easily outside as we uh, I was like 
sitting in my house looking out the window being like why are those people walking <laughs> you know that kind of <laughs> curtain twitcher but, yeah. but when I finally started going out myself um a lot of what I spent time doing was walking in the woods because you know I wanted to you know see nature and stuff and so some of those uh where the book now starts with Sophie walking through the woods and looking around some of her kind of observations of the trees and sights she sees were kind of directly inspired and um, there's a kind of very strange description of mistletoe on the trees because I likewise saw a bunch of kind of orbs of stuff hanging around trees and looked very strange and I, I had no idea that's what mistletoe actually looked like in its wild form that really hit hit that kind of off and so yeah the novel kind of emerged from those kind of two different experiences I guess it's kind of odd on that front in that it's it's a novel of in some ways more so than 16 horses of kind of people talking to people interacting quite a significant amount in terms of you know socially and uh, kind of all these different friendships forming or kind of loosening and so on throughout the book I suppose it's interesting that I wrote a lot of that whilst I wasn't really being able to see people so that probably influenced that quite a lot as well (laughs) and let's talk about Cooper Allen where did that character come from it may interest readers to know that my wife is in fact a veterinary surgeon and indeed some of the stuff Cooper's kind of strange perspective not to kind of get in trouble or indeed her kind of sense of humor which isn't always successful but it's often quite funny is inspired by my wife and some of the things she said she's not she isn't my wife if that makes sense but but there are elements of my wife in her just as there are elements of me and elements of kind of some other fictional characters that have kind of inspired that all kind of medley together veterinarians I think it's seen as quite this quite happy happy profession um you know like oh I'm gonna look after animals this is you know my day whereas um, although people go into the field for that precise reason, so you often get very kind of nice people who are like you know very sweet and considerate and really caring about animals. A lot of the job is actually quite unpleasant for various reasons, including how the industry is set up. Um, a lot of what you have to do in Sixteen Horses, she's uh, and a lot of readers talked about this. She's a lot more kind of enigmatic, I suppose. She is. I would say, like, the co-main character of that book, because the other police officer, Alec, it's also very much his book as well. And I feel like she was very much like the breakout person of, of in terms of personality. But you don't really learn much about her backstory. You get these kind of hints, but there's that she's quite kind of closed off and, you know, communicates her personality and her view, but you, you don't get as much um, she's guarded. In this book, I kind of, I, I'm really into playing around with genre as well, exploring different types of stories. I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole detective on holiday thing I just think it's so weird like I love it and we all love it as readers obviously because so many books do it but it's just such a strange yes. concept of like oh they're all on holiday and they just happen to have these murders and it's all very strange and so I, I kind of wanted to riff on that but also I think with with Cooper as a character and, and where I'd left her from 16 Horses and, and all the stuff I've just been saying about you know how people feel about their jobs, work-life balance, you know, your, where's the room for you in the midst of your job and everything you do. The fact that people had remarked that they hadn't heard about her backstory very much. I, I think I kind of poured all that into Consumed, which very much runs with that trope, but runs with it in such a way as hopefully as a kind of uh, a nice uh, kind of merge to the, you know, that genre, but also as a kind of a bit of an interrogation of it mm. in that it kind of pokes around in it and kind of plays around with it a bit. So you know, she's on holiday and people know what she does for a living. So obviously when this famous person gets eaten by pigs, they're like, you come over here, help with this. And then, you know, everything, everything slides around from there. Does your wife get annoyed? Does she find you making notes surreptitiously <laughs> of anything that she says after a day of work? It's, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. So interestingly, I don't tend to make notes directly on veterinary stuff. I, I tend to remember that more. But I've started trying to capture, because my 
you know, my mind jumps around quite quickly various topics and I'll think of an idea and very quickly forget it. So I'm uh, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out some way of capturing observations without kind of overwhelmingly just sitting there with a notebook all the time <laughs> monitoring everyone. But I created a word beginning with S that Charlotte says <laughs> is a folder of things I have on my <gasps> phone. Uh, of little voice notes where when she she just comes out with these very strange kind of phrases and things at various points or observations I think I described her as the other day as um, as very two very different references so there may be a niche audience um, who's able to get these two comparisons but I think I described her as Paddington Bear meets Dr. Manhattan, the character from Watchmen. <laughs> it's obviously a, a very strange comparison, but is a very descriptive one. If you imagine that that resulting person also has a sense of humour, it's kind of gallows humour. So you get these very kind of strange observations of the world, but but endlessly fascinating to me, you know, hence why America also useful therefore for, for books. Although some of the kind of more choice things that have been very funny sometimes do not make it in because, you know, they'll be in the manuscript and the editors will read it and be like, what's <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> remove this and so they're, they're sometimes censored out of existence but yes <laughs> well we come to the final question greg which is the most crucial one on this podcast so prepare yourself and the question is what biscuit powered the writing of consumed what was your biscuit of choice it's a very interesting question i would say so I can never answer questions like this straightforwardly uh, or, or, or questions as to what my favorite thing is. Or I was on writer's routines and they were like, what's your routine? And I answered in about like, well, it really depends. And then gave like 12 different <laughs> variations. I'd say there were two distinct biscuits, but I don't know if they overlapped or morphed into each other. But the, the bourbon biscuit okay. uh, was certainly one that was part of the process. Um, from, a, from a young age, I've been an officiando of bourbon biscuits. And I would say the other probably is actual good old fashioned kind of milk chocolate digestive biscuits, which I, I find quite wholesome in the way where they're in no way wholesome, but for some reason, my body registers them as such. Um, also in that category, not for this book, I would say that the McDonald's cheeseburger is also in that category of something that for some reason, my body and some of the people I know register as wholesome, like, oh, this is been good nutrition but it's probably not uh, so yeah <laughs> yes I don't know is it that's an interesting one I'd put the digestive more in the wholesome than the McDonald's cheeseburger yeah I think it depends on the kind of yeah, probably the preparation of, of that and various things also maybe just on I mean one of my talked about like nutritional needs like you know, sometimes you just really crave something maybe your body needs it so maybe I just don't have certain things in my diet that mean a McDonald's cheeseburger is especially appealing to me and, you know other burgers you know they'll be tasty but I'll for some reason think and I'm not being paid by McDonald's by the way to be very clear for the listeners you know, <laughs> they'll be really tasty in many ways often tastier but they, I'll know when I'm having something that's bad for me Whereas for some reason with that, it's like, oh, good. I've had a bump of nutrition in a way that probably is not actually true. Well, if it helped power the writing of Consumed, it was it was well worth it. It's just been wonderful to talk to you. And thanks so much for coming on. Greg Buchanan, whose latest book is Consumed. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Now, the next book is one by Eve Smith. You'll have heard me read and review Eve's previous books. And this one is just as good. Let me read you the blurb. The catastrophic climate emergency has spawned a one-child policy in the UK, ruthlessly enforced by a totalitarian regime. Compulsory abortion of excess pregnancies and mandatory contraceptive implants are now the norm and families must adhere to strict consumption quotas as the world descends into chaos. 
Kai is a 25-year-old baby reaper working for the Ministry of Population and Family Planning. If any of her assigned families attempts to exceed their child quota, she ensures they pay the price. Until one morning, she discovers that an illegal sibling on her ministry hit list is hers. And to protect her parents from severe penalties, she must secretly investigate before anyone else finds out. Kai's hunt for her forbidden sister unearths much more than a dark family secret, as she stumbles across a series of heinous crimes perpetrated by the people she trusted most. She makes a devastating discovery that could bring down the government and tear her family apart. Let's do the first sentence for you. Chapter one. A hazed pink stripes the sky, mirrored in the regiments of roof panels, imbuing the street with a crimson glow. I love this hour, when tentative hues give rise to shape and form. The birds agree, their chorus swells with seesawed chirps and trills, robins, blackbirds, goldcrests, possibly a finch. Kane steps forward and scans the road. I check the time and count to four. Today is a four day. Clear, says Kane. We tread softly past houses, huddled in semicircles, all facing the sun. Last generation builds patchworks of recycled brick and stone. The hydrail hisses in the distance. Our appointment is at number 24, which is good because that's six fours. So this is a dystopian book and Eve is well known for producing high quality dystopian stories. I thought this was another super one. You've got, yes, you've got the dystopian element, but immediately or almost immediately within a very short period of time, it's not as it as you think it might be. And the, your main character, Kai, who's this enforcer, actually has the rug pulled out from under her feet and she needs to try and work out how to go about investigating this person that's related to her and the implications on her and her family. So for me, it yes, it's dystopian, but it's also like a thriller book because it's her going through trying to find evidence, unpicking it, evading danger, coming into danger. Do you know what I mean? It's it's all of that. So there's the dystopian stuff, but then there was a shift into thriller. Nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm just saying that's what it is. I mean, Eve always does the research we interviewed her with her last book and writes brilliantly so there we go one by eve smith and next we have the conspirators by g w shaw and if you like william shaw's detective series well g w shaw is william shaw so here we go here's the blurb on this thriller Jacob Meany makes so little money as a translator that his girlfriend has given up on him. Then Eloise, an Australian digital marketer, appears out of the blue, offering him unheard of sums for a couple of weeks' work. A private plane and helicopter take him to a showcase villa in Corinthia and all the luxury he could ever want. At first, his task seems simple to interpret between Hindi, Russian and English during business calls. But it becomes clear to Jacob that his employer, the mysterious Mr Bondarenko, is no ordinary businessman and he's stumbled into something much darker and more dangerous than he realised. When danger strikes, how far will he go to survive? Let's do first sentences. Oh, come on, Philippa, turn the page. Here we go. One, chapter one. The rich are careless about their wealth. They deserve to be ripped off. The concierge at the Arcadia Shard Hotel was an old hand at this. He recognised an abandoned suitcase as an opportunity. 
Mr Rakesh Garg's pale grey Samsonite case sat on the shelf in the left luggage locker. The concierge glanced up at the CCTV camera that kept an eye on it. This is, if you like your sort of traditional thrillers, I think you'd really enjoy it. It's well written. You you suspend belief because you just think, how can this happen? But then you forget thinking about that and just enjoy the story and what happens, the adventure, the the moments of tension, that you know, the highs and the lows. Really, really good. And I uh, just can't wait to read more. Bravo. And we come on to the final book. Now, this one, I I must have read Jojo Moyes' books before, but if and when I did, it was a long, long time ago. So I was at the Hay Festival. Sorry, I'm going to keep... How many times do I say the Hay Festival? Anyway, it's true. I was there. And I heard Jojo talking about this book, Someone Else's Shoes. And it just... I don't know, it just... I was going to say rang a bell. It didn't ring a bell. It just... It just rang something in me that said, I need to read this book. And so I listened to it as an audio book. OK, let me do the blurb before I tell you any more. Uh, the blurb is this. Meet Sam. She's not got much, but then she's grateful for what she has. A job she's just about clinging on to and a family who depend on her for everything. She knows she's one bad day away from losing it all and just hopes today isn't it. Meet Nisha. She's got everything she always dreamed of and more. A phenomenally rich husband, an international lifestyle and she's just been locked out of all of it after her husband initiates divorce proceedings. Sam and Nisha should never have crossed paths. But after a bag mix up at the gym, their lives become intertwined even as they spiral out of control. Each blames the other as they feel increasingly invisible, forgotten, lost and desperately alone. But they're not. No woman is an island. Look around. Family, friends, strangers, even the woman you believe just ruined your life might turn out to be your best friend. Because together you can do anything, like take back what is yours. Now, it's interesting to me because I didn't read that blurb I just heard about the book and thought, yes, I'm getting it. Anyway, first few sentences. Sam stares up at the slowly lightening ceiling and practices her breathing, like the doctor advised her. As she tries to stop, her 5am thoughts congealing into one enormous dark cloud above her head. In for six, hold for three, out for seven. I am healthy, she recites silently. My family is healthy. The dog has stopped that weeing in the hall thing. There is food in the fridge and I still have a job. She slightly regrets putting in that still because the thought of her job makes her stomach clench again. I love this. I've really enjoyed listening to it. It's not... It's What is... I don't know. It's just about strong female relationships. It's about dealing with what life throws at you. I was rooting for the characters, well, some of them. I was concerned about what was going to happen. I thought it was narrated well. I just really enjoyed it. It was something so different to what I would normally listen to. You know, if there's if there's not normally a detective, some murders, some blood, an autopsy, I'm not really into it. But things are changing. I'm into this very much. I thought it was excellent. So that's Someone Else's Shoes by Jojo Moyes. Let's just do a quick recap on the other books we've talked about today. So we talked about 30 Days in Paris by Veronica Henry and Veronica very kindly came on to talk to us. We've 
talked about Consumed by Greg Buchanan. And Greg also very kindly came on to talk to us about that book. I've reviewed one by Eve Smith, The Conspirators by G.W. Shaw, and finally, Someone Else's Shoes by Jojo Moyes. Those are your books. Now, I'll be back on Friday with another short episode. And then the next Monday will be after I have returned from this holiday, I hope. <laughs> if there isn't an episode on Monday, you need to send out a signal for help because who knows, I might be stuck on a pedalo in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Anyway, no, I really look forward to talking to you again soon. I've got some Oh my goodness, people got some great books to talk to you about. Really excited about that. And just look after yourselves and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.